0: Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, divinesaviorchurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you would like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. We have a super important topic to consider as we continue our journey in the book of Proverbs. Because this week, we are focusing on pride. Now, pride is the conclusion in one's thinking that a person, idea, or thing is better than another. And this conclusion justifies any praise or humiliation an attitude or treatment that results from that thinking. It can be as quiet as a turned up nose or as loud as a derogatory comment. All of it is detrimental to everyone involved. And so in our podcast this week, we're gonna learn what Proverbs has to say about the source, the destruction, and most importantly, the antidote for pride. As we consider what the Bible, specifically the book of Proverbs, has to say about pride, we also are going to be talking about the Reformation as we celebrate how God has used Christians throughout history, like Martin Luther, to preserve the truth of the gospel. So Here are the passages we'll be considering. There are an assortment of passages from the book of Proverbs that deal with the subject of pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. With humility comes wisdom. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Wisdom in, wisdom's instruction excuse me is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked, produce sin. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. This is God's Word. In my opinion, you can't talk about pride without thinking about moments in life when pride got the best of you. So in that spirit, I feel compelled to share with you one of the most embarrassing stories of my life. So before I became a pastor, I worked at a concrete light pole manufacturing plant and I loved it. We got to operate heavy machinery, bulldozers, forklifts, even a boom crane. And it was within the first few months of working there that I was asked to operate the crane to load poles on a truck. Now at this point I had yet to be trained on the crane, but of course I didn't want the guys to think less of me, and so I did what any mature person would do. I acted like I knew just how to operate our boom crane. as we were loading the truck, it became abundantly clear I had no idea what I was doing. The poles were swinging, almost taking a few heads off. They were way out of position on the truck bed. And after 10 minutes of struggling, my boss comes out and says, get out of that truck before that pole falls and breaks. And of course, this is in front of almost all my coworkers. It's literally true. I can say it from experience that pride does come before the fall. And it almost did. See, pride is one of the most common delusions we fall into constantly. Pride leads us to be pretenders, acting like someone we're not just to gain something we want. Pride makes us overestimate and underestimate ourselves. Pride even led many in the Christian church in the Middle Ages away from the heart of Christianity, which is this, the humble, selfless love of Jesus we call grace. If our Christian identity revolves around humility, we need to confront our pride. And to do that, we need to see just how destructive every facet of pride can be, and how God's grace gives us a humility that has no room for pride. Now, Proverbs breaks down pride like this. Pride is needing to feel better than people in some way. And so pride leads to overinflated egos and also low self-image. Because the thing about pride is that it can't stay self-contained. C.S. Lewis in his classic Mere Christianity details it like this. We say that people are proud of being rich, clever, or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, or cleverer, or better-looking than others. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next man. In other words, pride is the drive within us for a kind of delusional security. In fact, many Christian teachers, ancient Christian teachers, describe pride as the ultimate sin. Why? Because pride is the refusal to let God be God, which is the utmost illusion. If pride is the ultimate sin, a spiritual cancer that eats away at faith, we need to know the source of this struggle. We don't need to look far. Deep within our hearts, still stained with our sinful nature, we have this misguided instinct that we need to earn our own salvation. Hence the reason why every other religion in the world besides Christianity, it's all about what you do to earn heaven. And so because of that inner sense of pride, because of sin, pride makes life seem like a courtroom. And so what do we do? We try to gather as much evidence for our goodness as we can. And yet deep down, no matter who you are, you know it's never going to be enough. It's in that place of despair that the gospel reveals itself so beautifully through the Bible alone. It's hearing Jesus on the cross shout for all of history to hear, it is Finished, evidence thrown off the table, freedom from sin won. That's the wisdom of Proverbs fifteen thirty-three. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, to be in awe of the Lord, to believe, trust in the Lord, and humility comes before honor. By placing every bit of our hope for salvation in God's gracious hands, we receive the greatest honor ever, being called children of God. The struggle is that pride isn't content with that. We don't like admitting such hope can only be given. And not achieved. And because of that ego-driven impulse, what do we do? We argue, just like any lawyer would in the courtroom. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 12. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Pride leads to senseless arguments by our inner lawyers about who's better or who's right. And the goal of conversations shift from fruitful discussion to unproductive banter. I mean, you never walk away from a bitter argument saying, wow, I never wanted that talk to end. Pride (laughs) makes you and me the standard for greatness. That's why we can't take criticism sometimes. Even though it might be meant in a constructive way, pride doesn't let us receive that advice as the gift it is. Because pride sees any threat to our quote-unquote greatness as worthy of nothing but derision and anger. But pride isn't always so overt the pride is there and we get down on ourselves too because pride is that constant self-awareness you can't stop thinking about how you're not enough how you'll never be valuable you'll never achieve what you want to do we hear a lot in our culture about you need to be more be more self-aware but gaining self-awareness is not going to give you the security you're looking for if you're constantly thinking about yourself even if you're thinking down like down thoughts on yourself what are you doing you are placing your entire outlook on life on the shaky foundation of self. Now, speaking personally with you, my, my pride flares up in my lifelong fear of failure. I've had this for such a long time. Failure has long rattled me. By God's grace, with his strength, I'm working at that. But why has failure so rattled me? I thought about this a lot this week. It's because failure is an admittance that I'm not perfect, that I'm not always right, that I'm not totally competent. See, Christians, we've long struggled with pride. In fact, we've struggled with it so much that even the church at one point almost lost the crown jewel of the scriptures. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It took courageous Christians like Martin Luther to put their lives on the line to rescue the church from falling into the abyss of pride. Because pride truly Is the darkest of places. Why? Because if you and I buy into the narrative of pride, people become merely transactional tools to bolster your resume, to gather more evidence for your sense of worth and goodness. Relationships are eroded, and people are simply there for our use, to be used. But even more profound and life-altering. When life, excuse me, when pride becomes your perspective of life, and when life revolves around you, you will be dizzyingly delusional as unstable as your emotions, and as insecure about yourself as ever. Now again, we hear this all the time, and even logically, we'd think that the more self-aware we are, the more secure we'd be in the knowledge of ourselves, but in actuality, the opposite happens. The more pride-consumed and self-obsessed you are, the more you lose sight of who God has made you to be, because only he can give you the sense of self we all long for. Because in God's viewpoint, his upside down kingdom is countercultural nature. Humility gives far more far greater glory, far more profound security, and far more, a far more in depth view of yourself. All that comes from humility personified. So what is humility according to the Bible? Humility is simply saying it's not about me. Or even better, as James put it in James chapter 4, submitting yourselves to God. Humility is looking to God first and foremost in every life moment and saying, Lord, I'm here simply for your use and purpose. Humility is self-loss. Not caring what anyone thinks of you or even really how you view yourself. But only how Jesus sees you. It's when you see yourself through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that you realize the enduring security you can only have in the Lord. Jonathan Edwards put it like this in a sermon, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Humility is the antidote to pride, how? It's all because of the one who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Let's face the facts, humility is not a skill to be learned. I know this is hard for us Americans to hear. We like to think that there's a how-to YouTube video for every life issue. We're so technically oriented. But as we've seen in Proverbs, wisdom is not a skill to gain. It's a character that's grace-given. Where do we see the source of humility of grace itself? We see him in a feeding trough, filled with half-eaten straw, An ordinary-looking baby, a baby born to poverty-stricken parents with no place to call home or to sleep. We see humility himself grow up to adulthood, never once having a home for himself while he walked among us. We see him giving of himself to people who never thought they would have an audience with God, who were so low on themselves they never thought they could be both fully known and fully loved. But most of all, we see humility himself in his finest hour, on the executioner's cross earning what we could have never earned on our own winning for us a kind of glory that not even the grave can end we see in jesus the last page of our pride and the first chapter of our true story it's this treasure of grace that christians throughout time from athanasius to augustine to jan hus to martin luther to cfw walther people you may have never heard about before these last few seconds but people whom God has used to preserve the amazing truth of Jesus. He preserved that so one day it could be given to you. Because what did Jesus' humble sacrifice win for you? Well, he led you out of the courtroom of your heart. By faith, he no longer lives simply to jostle for position, to prove you're worthy of life, worthy of love. Instead, the verdict through the cross remains sure and true. Not guilty. Forgiven. And free. You no longer strive to be the king of your life, the God of your own existence. no, instead you long for something much better. You long to be like the widow, described in Proverbs 15:33. "The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Now in biblical times, no one wanted to be a widow. If you were a widow back then, you were alone with no support, no place to call home. It's here we find what has made Christianity always so countercultural. In fact, it's the very basis for what we call human rights. God sees the lowly as the exalted, He views the humble as the greatest. He sees the sinner, the redeemed sinner, as the victor. This is what grace does He gives us the lamp to light our path, to stay near to Jesus who comes near to us in word and sacrament, we no longer trust in ourselves. Instead, we do what Proverbs 28, verse 26 speaks of. We don't trust in ourselves. We walk in wisdom. And it's there that we find safety in how God sees us. Through the blood of His Son, the future He has for us, and the ever-constant hope that's ours, even when life seems bleak. It's in that humble, glorious gospel light that we experience the answer to the long-asked question, what is the meaning of life? You know. It's Jesus. When you stand forgiven in the selfless love of Jesus, you're excitedly willing to sacrifice yourself just like him. You live no longer for self-advantage, but freedom freedom from the fear of failure, freedom from being devastated by criticism, freedom from being overly critical of yourself, freedom to admit sin honestly and boldly, trusting what Jesus has done for you, freedom from self, the ultimate freedom. And how did this affect your everyday, how does this excuse me, affect your everyday life interactions, this death of self and this freedom given to us by Jesus? really asking this question how does this finest of wisdom the wisdom found only at the cross change your life here's how you are free from letting your kids words and actions affect how you view yourself or your parenting you are free from letting the fear of future disease or health struggles hamper your joy in life you're free from being consumed by how people speak of you online or in person you're free to hurt and not feel like it's the end Most of all, you're free to come near to the God who is always near you and never doubt that he always will be there. And in that way, you're free to boldly live your humble faith. Now God chooses to use you. It just might change the world. That's how the Lord used a no-name priest in a backwater town in Germany to recapture the heart of Christianity. The same man who never thought God could love a broken person like him by the power of grace, he could stand before the most powerful people of the world who wanted him to give up his faith. But instead he said this, My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not take back anything. since It is neither safe nor right to go against what I know to be true. Here I stand. I, can, I cannot do otherwise. May God help me. We rejoice for people like Martin Luther and so many others, men and women of the Christian faith who have given their very lives at times to preserve the amazing truth of the humble gospel, the good news of God's grace. And we stand in the humble love, the humble grace of Jesus, humbly listening to his every word and following with total joy and confidence, awaiting the royal glory waiting for us in the place where we've always belonged. That's the wonder of humility. Amen. My prayers are with you as you live that humble life of faith. That as we consider what Jesus has done for us, he's given us the only identity that's true and lasting, we rejoice that we belong to him. And that way we offer all of our gifts, all of our time, everything we have, we offer to Jesus and say, Lord, take me and use me. Let me be a living temple for you that everyone I meet can get a glimpse of you through me. God's richest blessings, you live for him now and always.